Welcome back to the Full Court Press, presented by the Stony Brook Press. It is Thursday, November 21st. Daniel is back home for the weekend, but I'm joined here today by Anthony and James. Anthony, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How's it going, James? All good. Just looking for Thanksgiving right now. That's right, man. We're poking away here at the last few weeks of the semester. But while we get to that, it's been an action-packed week here. I think we have to start with the biggest news of the week. Carmelo Anthony back in the NBA. First of all, let me throw in a little plug from my article, The Complicated Legacy of Carmelo Anthony, discussing his NBA career so far and what might happen in his latest stint with the Portland Trailblazers, available on sbpress.com. Anyways, Carmelo Anthony back in the NBA, non-guaranteed contract, January 7th cutoff date, I believe. Started the other day for Portland. What were you guys' takeaways on on his uh, re-debut? I mean, he started pretty well. I think he was like two of three to start. I mean, he definitely showed he definitely deserves to play in the NBA. But towards the end, he struggled shooting. Um, His defense was pretty bad. Um, But I mean, it is his first game back from months of not playing in the NBA. So, I mean, we just have to wait and see. But I think he'll develop and get back into the NBA grind. Look, I don't mean any disrespect to Melo, but he's 35, just like LeBron, and he looks way worse out of shape than LeBron James. And if it weren't for his name and for the fact that he's, like, top 25 in the all-time top scorers list, he wouldn't have a job right now. And, I mean, I hope it all goes well with him, but his defense in the <laughs> – bro, I'm just telling you right now, he won't, he won't make it, you know, past January if he keeps playing like this. I mean, but the Trailblazers' depth is pretty bad. I mean, they don't really Terrible have a lot right of great now. forwards other than Nasir Little. So, I mean, there is a chance that he uh, sticks around for how long, though? I'm not really sure. Yeah, Nasir Little balled out, I thought, the other day. I thought he really added a lot to Portland with his energy and just athleticism, even though he's still, you know, really raw in his development. But Melo, yeah, I mean, his defense was just terrible. I mean, borderline, like, worst defensive player in the league in his first game back, he was just losing track of his man. Basically every possession, like he wasn't boxing out, he wasn't following his man in transition, he was just completely lost on that end of the floor. And you have to hope that, you know, it's only his first game back, so he's still kind of getting used to the speed of the NBA. But these are just such fundamental things that any NBA player or any basketball player really at every at any level, I should say, should be doing you know just picking up your man in transition boxing out knowing where he is so hopefully Melo, um you know bounces back from that defensive showing offensively i thought he did okay you know some of his shots didn't fall but he wasn't forcing it a lot um portland was feeding him the ball in the post a bit too much for my liking but you know as anthony said their depth is so bad that at times you just have to go through someone who has gained that reputation as a bucket getter and hope that he can get you one. But I'm just saying, like, what are Portland's expectations? I mean, last year they didn't expect to make the Western Conference Finals. I'm sorry, yeah, Western Conference Finals. But, yeah, there they were. But then this season they pick up Carmelo Anthony almost out of desperation. It almost shows – it's almost like a step back in my opinion. What do you think, Anthony? Um, I mean, I guess you could argue that it was kind of a desperation move, but I would say they just need the scoring. I mean, there's only so much Lillard and McCollum can do together. I mean, most of their game is shooting. You know, they shoot threes most of the time. And Portland, I mean, isn't a great defensive team. So other than getting Melo's offense, there's no real reason as to why, you know, you pick up Melo. But, I mean, I think he'll stick around. Um, He'll probably be on the bench for the most part. You know, just providing his maybe 10 points every so often. I mean, overall, though, 
Portland did make the Western Conference Finals last year, and I mean they're kind of off to a rough start. But I think you know Coach Terry Stotts and his experience, I think they'll be able to pick it up, and I think Melo will definitely contribute to their potential playoff run. No, but what gets me is like Carmelo Anthony doesn't have a ring, and he joins. You know, it was out of his control to join the Blazers, but I mean, what is he playing for now in his career? In all honesty, I think he's just playing to have a good ending to what many consider and I think you know rightfully so a legendary career I mean yeah he hasn't won a ring but for a long time of the decade he was you know one of the top 10 players in the NBA and I think you can't really argue against that um like sure he doesn't have the basketball IQ that LeBron has or maybe you know that competitive instinct that Kobe had but at the same time Melo is a guy who just like he gave people so many basketball memories so people want to see him you know have a good ending and I think he wants that too he doesn't just want to you know, be released essentially by the Houston Rockets, you know, be traded to the Chicago Bulls or whatever that was for like a day and then get waived. Like, he wants to have a good ending to his career, and I think that's a goal for him in Portland. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think, especially with the way Melo has been kind of a staple, you know, he was once in Denver and then he came to New York, and, you know, he's, he was in New York for some time. I would consider him to be the second best forward during the time stretch he was playing with, but I mean, you're right. I mean, Melo, you know, you don't want to end with being waived, you know. I mean, going back, going to Portland, I mean, gives him the opportunity to play for a potential playoff team. Um, I don't consider the Trailblazers to be a championship contender, so I don't think Melo will get the ring. But I don't think that's necessarily what he's looking for. I think he's just looking to prove that, you know, he still got it. He still has his offensive capabilities, and he still has what it takes to be a great NBA player. Yesterday was... A very eventful day in the NBA, but I think one of my biggest takeaways from the night, surprisingly enough, was Ben Simmons making his first NBA three against the New York Knicks, no less. Um, you know, talk about a little bit of irony or, you know, just bad luck for the Knicks once again. But Simmons, yeah, you know, he got the ball in the corner, just hopped into his jump shot like it was nothing, made it, switched it, form looked pretty decent, in my opinion, release looked good. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Simmons is willing to take those threes now consistently, he's going to add so much to the Sixers in terms of spacing. You know, teams are going to have to change their game plans to defend against Philadelphia. He needs to keep shooting these, in my opinion. I mean, I don't want to sound self-deprecating, but the fact that the Knicks were the team to concede this three to Ben Simmons just shows that they're as bad, they're as bad a team as Ben Simmons wanted them to be, like to the point where he thought, you know, I'm going to make a three tonight. And... I don't see him doing that against the Lakers. I don't see him doing that in the finals or in the playoffs. Um, I think this is more of a bad testament to what the Knicks are doing this season, despite the fact that they don't have many options, than it is Ben Simmons. But I give him credit. He was marked in the corner, and he didn't step on the line, so he did his bit. The Knicks lost the game by five, but, you know, I mean, that's what the Knicks usually do, those games. I mean, yeah, I think with Ben Simmons, I think it was more of a situational play. I mean... He saw him, you know, he caught the ball in the corner. He saw he was open. He had the space. He just let it fly pretty much. Uh, his form looked pretty good, you know, for his first three-point make. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but that for if you're the Knicks, though, that's kind of the shot you want to give up because Ben Simmons hasn't proved to be a consistent three-point shooter. I think once he does that, then, yeah, you have to guard him at the perimeter, and I think he'll definitely be a much bigger threat than he already is. But, I mean, it's great to see that he's working on his jump shot for once. Yeah, and, I mean, what surprised me was, you know, there's been so many games in the past 
two three years where the team has just completely sagged off of Ben Simmons and you know he's gotten the ball little dribble handoff whatever drives into the paint or just passes it off but then in this game where you know I think it was Mitchell Robinson he was actually closing out on him and he just let it fly that was surprising to me and it was uh 1451 days since Ben Simmons had scored a three in an official game so that goes back to his uh college days at LSU so yeah I mean surprising but it's a development that needs to keep going and James I hope that you're wrong. I hope that he, that he does shoot them in the playoffs and that by the time the playoff the playoffs roll around, I should say, you know, in May and June, he's willing to take those shots. Is there a little bit of bias involved or like do you genuinely believe that? I mean, there's a little bit of bias involved in that I want him to do that. I don't know if he will, but it's something that Brett Brown has been talking about, you know, for the past few months. So I think the Sixers coaching staff and I'm re- and I'm sure the rest of his teammates too, you know, will be getting on him to take more threes especially now that the first one is out of the bag i mean yeah i definitely agree with ben simmons you know he's already had the passing ability he already has the finishing ability the last thing to kind of complete his game is shooting so i think it's definitely showed last night that that's what he's been working on i think he needs to continue working on it that way he can become that consistent perimeter threat he doesn't need to be like a jj reddick per se or kyle corver but i mean ben simmons needs to you know make defenses respect his perimeter shot so it's great to see that he's been working on his three-pointer and uh, i hope he continues to take him and make him yeah but now moving on to another very talented young star in the nba luka Doncic, lighting up the golden state warriors last night 35 point triple double in 25 minutes this is right after Doncic had a 42 point triple double on monday over the spurs and you know I always defended, even before the draft last year, I think I always thought Luka Doncic is going to be a special, one-of-a-kind generational player in the NBA. Just because I was always so impressed when in Europe and in Spain, the maturity that he was showing at 18, 19 years of age, playing very significant minutes for you know a European powerhouse like Real Madrid, exceeding everyone's expectations. So I thought he was going to come in the NBA and eventually do the same thing. I just didn't know it was going to come this quickly. But right now, I really don't think it's, you know, an exaggeration to say that Doncic deserves to be in the MVP conversation alongside, you know, LeBron, James Harden, and Giannis. But what he's doing right now, I think it puts him right up there. He was playing against the Warriors, and I mean, the Warriors have been pretty bad this season. Not necessarily their fault because of their injuries, but I mean, it was a blowout. Um, I think they beat them by like 30, 40 plus, which is a testament to, you know, how the Mavericks were able to get it going offensively. And yeah, no, I definitely agree. Luka Doncic should be in the MVP conversation. Um, I think this year, if he continues, he should definitely be an all-star, you know, in his second season. That's pretty impressive. And I think he'll just continue to grow um, and become that once in a generational player that you alluded to earlier. I mean, all merits to Luka Doncic, but I'm just looking here at the fact that the Golden State Warriors scored 16 points in the first quarter, whereas the Mavs scored 44 and outscored the Warriors every single quarter. Like, Not just that, but Doncic, out, Doncic by himself outscored the Warriors in the first quarter. That's crazy, right? Man, can you believe that the once upon a time, the greatest team ever assembled with 73 wins in the regular season is now looking at a 3-13 and record in the NBA? Of course, factors playing in, like injuries. I mean, yes, but no. I mean, the Warriors... Um, 
They were, you know, yeah, obviously they were the best team, you know, a few years ago. They lost Kevin Durant, you know. But like I said before, they're injured right now. I mean, Curry's out, Clay is out. I mean, Jeremiah Green, you don't really consider to be a factor offensively, so he's not really going to give you, you know, 20 points a game. So, I mean, other than that, who are they going to go to? Out to D'Angelo Russell, but he's also injured. So, I think their leading scorer was like Glenn Robinson or something like that. And he's mainly seen as like a role player, in my opinion. So, right now, the Warriors just have to hang in there. I mean, when they get all their guys back, they'll definitely, you know, regroup and definitely, you know, start winning some games. But, I mean, it is what it is. At this point in time, you just got to deal with the injuries and go from there. Yeah, James. I mean, I think in regards to what you asked, it's what Anthony said. Yes, but no. I think if you asked me this, you know, in May, just like a few months ago, I would never have seen this coming. But seeing how things have developed since then, it has taken, there has been a logical order, I guess, to the Warriors' quote-unquote downfall, which I think is only going to be temporary once Curry is back in full swing next season. Klay Thompson hopefully should be back, you know, pretty much close to his full strength next season. Draymond Green, obviously his potential and his ability will be maximized by the return of those two. D'Angelo Russell, hopefully, if he's still in Golden State, might have a good, a good season not to mention that the way things are set to look right now, the Warriors are going to be getting, I would say, at least a top five, top three pick. So that should be, you know, back, uh, put them back to being a dynasty. Steve Kerr, I think he's still a really good coach, although he has, you know, struggled a little bit to adapt to a roster that's not as talented. But yeah, I mean, in regards to what you said, it's a little bit of both. Just looking at the Western Conference standings right now, it's the Lakers, Nuggets, Rockets, Clippers, and Mavs. Would you have predicted that? before the start of the season i mean no i mean i don't think i would have predicted uh any of that um i definitely thought the clippers would have been a little bit higher but then again Kawhi, you know with load management he hasn't been playing as many games you know paul george just came back last night uh, we'll get into that a little bit later but i mean overall the lakers are number one if it's not the clippers that makes sense um yeah. The Suns have been playing really well this season. You know, a lot of people, especially myself, didn't expect that to happen. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot of surprise teams. I mean, we expected Luka Doncic to be great, but at year two, you know, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming as well. So, I mean, it's I mean, like, I'm content with the way the standings are set. But then again, it's only early in the season, so standings will most likely change. So, I mean, overall, though, it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, for sure. And I think even when you look at the bottom of the Western Conference, you know, the Trailblazers, the Spurs, and as we talked about just now, the Warriors, but I did not expect the Trailblazers to be this bad. I do think, I did think, I should say, that they were going to suffer a little bit with the lack of depth and, you know, some of the pieces that they lost during the offseason, but I didn't think they would be struggling this early, especially with CJ and Damian Lillard. And the Spurs, I think, you know, they're only 5-10, and 10. And it's still such a long season. The West is, is going to be so unpredictable, as we can already tell, that they're probably going to get back into the swing of things. But the Spurs, I expect them to be better, um, especially given what they did last season. So, yeah, it should be interesting. But I agree with Anthony. You know, the Lakers, number one, I think that was predictable or at least expected. Denver's at two right now. Maybe we, I didn't think they were going to be, you know, I don't think they're going to be the number two seed, but they're definitely going to be up there. The Rockets at three, I think, again, they're like one of the contenders. The Clippers at four, 
it's what Anthony said about load management and Paul George. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the Mavs, the Jazz, and the Suns, to me, they're the biggest surprise. But we already touched that, touched on that, I should say, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. Honestly, the Timberwolves being in the eighth seed kind of surprises me. But yeah, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns has been playing amazing to the point where he's he's in the top fifteen for MVP conversation. But I wouldn't go as far as to say that he's a shoe in because the season is eighty two games long. I mean, seeing the Pelicans in twelfth place, you know, bias aside, is a little harsh because of the way they play. Like they've been losing games by two, three points, whereas other teams have been blown out, like the Warriors. But a loss is a loss, and. You know, just like Tatum's winner against the Knicks a few weeks ago, the uh, the Pelicans been just on the bad side of of basketball, I guess, of the luck. As for the Suns, do you think Anthony they can keep this up? Because I mean, seven and six is looking pretty bad, but at the start of the season, five and two didn't look that bad, did it? Honestly, I think I think going up to the All Star break, I think they will be able to. Um, but I think after the All Star break is where they're falter. I think, but then again, I'm looking at it in hindsight. Um, I think the Suns so far, though, have played really well. Um, give credit to Devin Booker, you know, Monty Williams, you know, especially with DeAndre Ayton being out. Um, I'm forgetting what you said earlier, but overall, I think the standings, as I said before, they're definitely going to change. So, I mean, I wouldn't take these standings as, you know, final. I'll take it with a grain of salt and just expect a lot of changes as we move forward in the season. Yo, if you look across to the Eastern Conference, the Nets are in seventh place, which is kind of surprising because just imagine, you know, that they don't make the playoffs. KD sits out. You know, do you think that's going to be a little bit of a failed, I guess, investment in Kevin Durant if they don't make the playoffs? Um, no, and it was for this reason. Kevin Durant hasn't played at all this season, so he can't control what the Nets do. Um, if you asked if it would be a failure for Kyrie, I would say yes, and the reason being is that. With Kyrie, you're expected to make the playoffs. You add Kevin Durant, you're expected to win a championship. So, in my personal opinion, yes, that would be seen as a failure. But, as I said before, it's really early in the season. So, I mean, the Nets, they've had a rough stretch of games. You know, they're going to keep fighting, obviously. And then, from there, they'll start stringing some wins. And then, we'll go from there. Oh, and for the record, I didn't know this, but the Wizards have the best offense in the NBA. And they're 11th in the East. Did you know that? I mean, I knew they had the best offense, and they've actually been really good offensively, but, like, they're giving up so many. I think, I don't know off the top of my head, but they're definitely one of the top three worst defenses in the league, which, I mean, I guess that's to be expected when you have Isaiah Thomas at point guard as well. But, like, I don't know. The Wizards, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't think they were going to be this good offensively. I liked Thomas Bryant last year. I've liked Bradley Beal for the last few years, and... I thought, you know, they had a couple of smart pickups over the summer. Um, you know, Mo Wagner, I liked him at Michigan. He didn't really play with the Lakers that much. And then, um, who was it, um, Darius Bertans with the Spurs. Yeah. I liked him in San Antonio. So they've been good, but I, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Bertans who said it. Um, but he basically said, you know, we're doing really well offensively, and we're just so bad on defense right now. All we would need is just to be, you know, even if we were like a little bit below average on defense, we would still be winning more games than we do now. Yo, I have to hand it to Miami Heat. They are overachieving. Like their one win, assuming that the Celtics and the Bucks lose a game, they'd be the top seed. And I mean, I'm not saying that they can, they can hold this, but no one can predict the future. It's not like they can't get the first seed, but their initial, sorry, initial 
aims before the season began was just to make the playoffs. And now we're talking about, well, at least in my opinion, them getting the first seed in the playoffs. And uh, just brings back the glory days of LeBron, Bosch, and Wade in my head. What about you, Wilco? The Heat have been really good so far, and I think that comes down to a number of factors. I think the first one, obviously, Jimmy Butler signing with the Heat, not just in terms of what he provides on the court, but also off the court in terms of leadership and a moral boost. Then you also have Eric Spolstra, who, for me, he's one of the best NBA coaches of all time, just in terms of being a winner, you know, promoting that winning culture, player development, too. He's a good in-game coach who knows when to make adjustments and how to make them. So there's that, too. And you combine him with Pat Riley as GM, and they're both such smart basketball minds that it's almost impossible for that combination to have, you know, long-term failure, even though Miami hasn't been great in the last few years. And not only that, but Miami has done so well in finding sort of these, you know, hidden gems, almost, I want to say. Bam Adebayo, who I liked at Kentucky, but I thought he was, you know, just going to be one of these big men who, you know, maybe he'll catch like lobs and play, you know, like 15, 20 minutes a game and be like decent in his role. But his game is so much deeper than that. Justice Winslow, they've done a really good job developing him. Kendrick Nunn went undrafted a, a few years ago, was in the G League last season with the Warriors affiliate, if I remember correctly. And Miami picked him up and now, you know, he's a microwave scorer for them. If they need him off the bench, he can score off the bench. He can start too. He's been really good. Duncan Robinson, I think, he was a D3 player at one point a few years ago, and he started yesterday, I want to say, and scored eight, eight threes um, in a half and ended with like nine threes in one game. So Miami, you know, props to them, credit to them. They've been really good, and they've done really good. The reason I brought them up is because of the Rookie of the Year conversation. Now that Zion Williamson's out of the picture, um, Tyler Hero, 22 points last night. I don't see anyone... Well, not, not anyone, but I, I've been impressed from what I've seen so far. I've, what I've, I've liked Hero, yeah, but I think Kendrick Nunn has been even better as a rookie. I mean, okay, technically, I guess he's like, what, like 24 years old or 25, but Hero's going to I think he's going to be really good, and he's almost going to be like a Clay Thompson type of scorer, but Kendrick Nunn has been really good. And I think he deserves to be like in the top two, top three candidates for rookie of the year right now. And who would the other ones be? At least in your opinion, Anthony. Um, other than none and Hero, I would argue um, John Morant as well sure. from the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, I think he might have a better shot at winning Rookie of the Year just because he's going to get more opportunities, especially because he was the second overall pick. But, I mean, other than him, I think, as the three ways that we said before, I think it just comes down to consistency, longevity, and, you know, opportunities. Because... Kendrick Nunn is a great scorer, but, you know, how many minutes is he going to get per game? Tyler Harrow, you know, he's a great shooter. How many minutes is he going to get per game? But John Morant, since he is the second overall pick, he'll probably get the most minutes out of all three of them, especially because the Grizzlies aren't that great of a team, per se. So for that reason, I right now I have John Morant as kind of like my rookie of the year, but then again, still early in the season, so... We'll just have to wait and see uh, who can consistently produce, and then we can know for sure. I have a question. Do you think Eric Spolstra's experience with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh helped him grow as a manager, and that that's rubbing off now with this fresh core of young talent? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it did. Just because when you have so many stars on that team, you learn a lot about off-court management. I would say that's probably one of the biggest things you learn about, just how to manage egos and you take that experience into your, the next locker room that you have. So I'm sure that he learned a lot and that he's going to be able to, you know, 
put that into good use for the rest of his career. Uh, who do you think, like, do you think there are players that replicate what Bosch, LeBron, and Wade used to do? I think, I think Bam Adebayo is, I, I don't want to say that he's like Chris Bosch, but like I do see some similarities in terms of how they've grown as players since joining Miami. Yeah. Do you think they have like a new entity or do you think the, the big three that, do you think their, their legacy is going to play out in you know future generations? I think, I think Miami, the, the Miami Heat have just done really well at establishing the type of culture they want. So, you know, not to go into another sport or anything like that, but like the Patriots, you know what type of culture they're yeah. about. Barcelona and Ajax, you know what type of culture they're about. So the Heat have done something really similar in, you know, promoting a culture and developing one that's very work ethic oriented. And stands out. Stands out for sure um, among the NBA. You know, you work out hard. Their conditioning is top notch. Great coaching. You know, always mentally focused. You have to be wired in to play for Miami. I mean, the other thing, too, we have to look at is, you know, who he's working for. He's working for Pat Riley. Pat Riley is a five-time NBA champion yep. as a former head coach for the Lakers. So, I mean, he definitely knows what it takes to win. And I think, especially working under him, I think Eric Spolstra has been able to kind of, you know, learn and kind of be that. Uh, Pat Riley has kind of been like that mentor to him. And, I mean, I'm not ruling out the fact... and. I'm not ruling out that LeBron and, you know, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh have definitely not helped because they definitely have. But overall, I think it comes down to, you know, Pat Riley. I think he's probably had the biggest influence out of anyone when it comes to the success Eric Spolstra has had as a coach. But, I mean, as I've been saying, you know, it's still early in the season. So I think it really just comes down to longevity and consistency. And I think Eric Spolstra has been a great coach. I think the season will definitely be a legacy definer for what he's been doing. I mean, the reason I'm comparing the younger players now to you know LeBron and the Miami Big Miami Heat Big Three is because of the numbers that Luka Doncic is putting up right now. Like he is the youngest. He I think he has the youngest ten triple doubles in NBA history. If that's the stat that I'm reading, I might I might have it wrong, but he is putting up numbers at the age of 20 that we wouldn't see from players in their entire careers. Yeah, and actually 538 put out a really interesting piece today about how Doncic is actually outdoing what LeBron did at the age of 20. And yeah, of course, you have to consider that, you know, these are different eras, um, you know, different pace of the game, different types of offensive and defensive schemes. But Doncic, um, they use this stat, which is value over replacement player, which for those listening who don't know exactly what that is, basically it just takes into account, you know, quote-unquote, like what the average player in the NBA looks like. And then if you have, you know, a positive um, value over replacement number, it says, like, how much you're adding to your team, like, over an average player. And Doncic, according to this research, he adds more to the Mavericks at the age of 20 so far this season than LeBron did during his second season um, in Cleveland. Like, the reason is because the resemblance between players and their idols is obvious. Like, Devin Booker's dropped 70 on the Celtics when he was 20 years old, and he's a Kobe fan, you know, from childhood. And Doncic openly admitted when, before, I think maybe before and after his loss to the Lakers earlier this season, that he looked up to LeBron James. And, you know, for a guy that was in Real Madrid or, you know, in another country growing up and playing basketball, that's probably the biggest compliment you can give LeBron as an icon not to mention as an athlete. Um, 
So I'm just curious to see who's the next, you know, Chris Bosch, who's the next Dwayne Wade. Because these iconic play styles, I mean, when, when you see someone cross over another guy, like whatever, whenever Kyrie Irving does something, I can't, I can't help but see a little bit of Allen Iverson in him, you know? But, uh, you know, all the new, you know, young players, uh, if they can replicate what the legends of the game did, and which were winning formulas, or at least in Iverson's case, close to winning formulas, then uh, they can keep some of that old NBA culture still within the league. You can't. You don't really have the next Dwayne Wade or the next Chris Bosh per se, but I'll give you like two quick pe- uh, players right now that I guess are the closest things. So with Dwayne Wade, I would say the closest person is probably Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, I mean he's kind of like your flashy guy. You know, he can dunk. He He's not the greatest shooter in the world, but, you know, he can get it done. His defense is improving, um, and he's a great scorer, which is something Dwayne Wade has been throughout his whole career. And with Chris Bosh, the only player that's coming to my mind right now is Porzingis, even though, you know, they're both big guys that can shoot the three. Um, I would argue Chris Bosh is a better defender than Porzingis where he's at right now, but, again... They're both big men. They can shoot the three ball. Um, they're both lengthy. Um, they can definitely uh, defend when they need to. Could you argue that Rudy Gobert is in that conversation to be kind of like Chris Bosh? I mean, no, just because Rudy Gobert isn't the shooter that Chris Bosh was. So Rudy Gobert is more of your defensive, you know, um, def- like, yeah, your like defensive anchor. center. Yeah, your anchor pretty much. So I would say no. Um, if Rudy Gobert were to magically have a three-pointer, uh, I would throw him in that conversation. But since he can't really shoot, I wouldn't throw him in there. Hmm. Do you think the dynamic duos in the NBA are going to be sustainable? Or do you think Kevin Durant, let's just say, that he doesn't win a title in his two, is it two years? At the Nets, he'll move on. And he would have to join a team. No, not have to, but in order to create a dynamic duo, he'd have to move with someone else or join a team where the superstar is isolated like the Suns, which he wouldn't want to do. So do you think that the pressure is on Durant to win next or this season? I mean, there's a lot of pressure on a bunch of different players. You know, there's pressure on Durant. You know, there's pressure on Kyrie. There's pressure on LeBron to win with Anthony Davis in L.A. Um, you have pressure with Kawhi and Paul George with the Clippers. So, I mean, yeah, of course there's pressure. Um, going back to your previous point, um, but the way the uh, I'm actually blanking. What was your previous point? Uh, that Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant does not win, oh this no, 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 okay, year. I remember now. So you mentioned that you asked if the dynamic duos are the like some more sustainable type thing for the future. Yeah. I think with Kevin Durant leaving the Warriors, it kind of started that domino effect where everyone started just leaving teams and these dynamic duos formed. Um, if it's sustainable, I mean, I don't. I don't think it will be just because this past offseason has been so crazy to the point where owners and the commissioner, Adam Silver, have kind of like met together and said, hey, we can't have this happen again. You know, a lot of these players were tampering. We didn't even know about it. You know, like like, with the whole Paul George scenario, like no one knew he was going to get traded to the Clippers and it just magically happened overnight. I remember when I was looking at the news, I was surprised. I thought it was like like a clickbait article or something. So... You know, I mean, dynamic duos, I argue, at least for entertainment-wise, are better than, you know, your Warriors versus Cavs every year. But I'm not entirely sure if it will be sustainable. So, Miles Garrett has been suspended for the rest of the season following an altercation with Mason Rudolph. 
Um, so basically what happened was it was eight seconds left in the game. It was a screen pass. Uh, Miles Garrett basically drove Mason Rudolph into the turf. They had a few couple words. Um, they got at it. Mason Rudolph tried to rip off Miles Ma- uh, Garrett's helmet. It was unsuccessful. And basically what happened, Miles Garrett took off Mason Rudolph's helmet, swung it at him, connected. Uh, so yeah, um, so he was suspended for the rest of the season due to his involvement. Mason Rudolph, surprisingly, has not been suspended. Um, I think there is talk that he might get a fine, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, in terms of other players, Marquise Pouncey got suspended three games for, you know, fighting pretty much for his quarterback, which, I mean, is understandable. And uh, Larry Ugganjobi, I believe that's how you say it, he was suspended a game for shoving Mason Rudolph to the ground after the altercation was over. So I'm just curious to see what your thoughts were about it. Should he be, wow, should he be suspended for the rest of the season? For someone who knows nothing about football, I, pr- I think it's pretty harsh just because they're grown men and these impulsive decisions are things that they regret. I firmly believe that athletes respect each other because they know they have to bat at this really high level to compete with one another. And so, you know, to get in a fight, it's nothing personal. It must just have been something impulsive, and the league is pretty harsh. So the thing for me is, I understand both sides of it. Number one, I don't understand how Rudolph hasn't faced any consequences, given just how much he escalated it. Um, You know, he was the first one who tried to rip off Garrett's helmet and all that, as we've seen in videos, and he was definitely, um, you know, very provocative in the whole, I guess, like, build-up leading up to the incident. But... I also agree that Garrett deserves a lengthy suspension just because, you know, James said, yeah, like sports are sports. But if I get into an altercation with someone on the street, I mean, let's say I'm riding my bike or whatever, right? (laughs) I'm riding my bike down the street and I get into an argument with some, you know, random guy in the corner and, you know, things escalate quickly and they're going to get physical. And I take out my helmet, which, by the way, an NFL helmet being used by an NFL athlete has the potential to really inflict some damage but even just in real life if i take on my hard bike helmet and i bash someone over the head with it that can cause some real real injury very seriously um and very quickly so if someone did that in the real world they would be facing charges at least like at minimum they would be facing charges so even though this did happen you know within the nfl bubble if you want to call it that garrett deserved some sort of punishment and I agree with the NFL that this should be an exemplary punishment just to avoid similar situations like this happening in the future. Um, you know, the NBA did this with Malice at the Palace 15 years ago, which, by the way, this week is the 15-year anniversary of that. Um, quick side note. But, yeah, I mean, I think he deserved it. And hopefully that serves to, you know, eradicate this type of behavior from the NFL. I mean, I definitely agree, but to put some more context into it, all three players have appealed their bans um, all unsuccessfully. I mean, Miles Garrett is still in the process of it. But it was funny because the um, sort of case that he's using to make his argument was that of Antonio Smith. Um, I don't know if you guys know about it, but he also swung a helmet at a player in 2013. I don't believe he connected, and I think for that reason, he was only suspended three games, and also to put the whole case into context. Miles Garrett's suspension, I believe, is the second longest in NFL history behind Vontez Perfect, who's now currently suspended for the rest of the season as well. So, I mean, personally, I believe he should have been suspended for the rest of the season just because of the fact that, 
you know, if he got hit by, the, if Mason Rudolph got hit by, you know, the crown of the helmet, we're talking about permanent damage, maybe brain damage. Um, now, a lot of people were saying, were calling, you know, for him to, like, go to jail, which I think is a little insane. But um, I think the NFL, you know, I think they got it right. Um, definitely shows an example with players to definitely control their emotions. And, I mean, he definitely, like, Mason Rudolph was the one that escalated initially. But I think Miles Garrett just took it to a whole nother level. Because if you look back at the video, um, two of the Steelers' offensive linemen were shielding Mason Rudolph from Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett was still able to connect with the helmet. So, I mean, it was an ugly night um, for the NFL. I mean, it sucks that, you know, Miles Garrett got suspended. I mean, because he definitely has, he's not a malicious player. I mean, this is like the first type of incident he's ever been involved in. But it definitely shows that players need to keep their emotions in check. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I do think Rudolph deserves some sort of punishment. I'm guessing that's not going to come just because, you know, it's obviously been like a little bit since that happened. But I think the NFL kind of screwed up there a little bit by not, you know, even if it was just like a three-game suspension or something like that, I do think it deserved that. And just before we close off here, James, I know you want to say something, but just before that, the latest update in the whole Miles Garrett situation as of around 2 p.m. today is that Garrett told NFL officials that Rudolph had actually used some sort of racial slur yeah. or racially motivated language against him, which is, I guess it's what prompted, um, you know, his anger. But the NFL said that, you know, it investigated Garrett's allegation and didn't find evidence that Rudolph um, used any type of slur or racial um, insult, which, you know, that's a good thing. Obviously, you never want to see racism at any level. Of, of sports be that professional or amateur so i'm glad the nfl did its diligence there especially because the nfl has been very very tone deaf to other racially sensitive issues in the past um you know as we've talked about at length here with colin kaepernick and even last semester with you know many other cases but i think that for once the nfl has mostly gotten it right not 100 percent right but like I, I do think they've done a pretty good job at handling a very difficult situation. No, uh, one just little comment. Like millions of kids watch the NFL, and they might replicate what they've seen on TV in their games. You know, it's never a good example to do this. And like I said before, you know, they probably will regret their actions. Like it would never happen again under the same circumstances, at least. And so the NFL has to make a stand. It's I don't think the NFL either wanted to make this decision, but they had to because if they were to let something like this slide, or you know you know, give a slap on the wrist, then other athletes would feel hard done when they are inflicted with harder sanctions in the future. I mean, yeah, they don't want further backlash compared to the Kaepernick protests. You know, Colin Kaepernick is no longer in the league. Um, that's kind of a side note. But yeah, I mean, going back to the development, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell what players are saying, especially because, you know, you're in a loud stadium, you're looking at video from multiple sources that, I mean, you might not get clear audio. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that they didn't find anything. I mean, I think it's good because, like, like you said before, you know, you don't want to put race into this because then that makes it really, really complicated. But, I mean, overall, I think, like you said before, Mason Rudolph should have at least got hit with a fine, um, maybe $250,000, whatever it may be. Because, I mean, overall, he was the one to start the escalation. So, I mean, he definitely should have gotten it something. But, I mean, overall, Miles Garrett should definitely you know regret his actions which i believe he does um and i mean getting suspended for the rest of the season is 
I think a fair punishment. Um, so I've heard talk that Miles Garrett might also get suspended games into the next season. I'm curious to see if you guys think that's a little overboard or if you think that would also be fair. In my opinion, that's beyond overboard at this point. Like, there's nothing the player can do at this point to remediate what he's already done. Like, if it was, you know, there's this rule in soccer. It doesn't exist, sorry. It's just a, a theory. That if you break someone's leg, you should be suspended for the amount of time it takes for him to recover from a leg break because you're putting their, you know, whole career at stake. Um, and so in the NFL, like, a whole season and then more games on top of it. Like, what if... What if the season had just started and this occurred? Would that not... How many games are in the NFL season? Uh, so there are 17 weeks, but the teams play 16 games in a season. So overall, uh, I've seen a number of maxes, like 14 games, which I personally think is a little insane, but I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are. I mean, I'm not a finances-driven guy, but just imagine all the kids who look up to these players not being able to see him until the next season. Or, you know, you know, not to sympathize, but like, what if it's someone's last season? Or... You know, they'll never get the chance to watch this guy. You see, like, the NFL's got to realize that. You know, at one point, it's... At, in, at the very harshest extent, end of season, brand new fresh start, a whole summers. Don't, don't torture the guy and make him go into the new season thinking about it because there's nothing he can do to undo what he's already done. And, I mean, it sucks, too, because Miles Garrett was a defensive player of the year candidate. So, I mean, that entire campaign kind of went to waste, in a sense. But, I mean, yeah, as you said before, a lot of kids do look up to Miles Garrett. I mean, the Browns haven't been great for a lot of years. But, I mean, this was kind of their one season to kind of break out and, you know, be really well. Um, It sucks because they haven't actually lived to expectations. In fact, they've actually underperformed by a lot. And, I mean, Miles Garrett was kind of like one of those bright, uh, bright stars in the darkness for the Browns. So... I mean, again, as I said before, um, I think suspension into the next season for Miles Garrett is a little overboard. I think, you know, spend him for the rest of the season, um, let him reflect it, reflect about it um, during the off season, and you know, get himself going again for next season. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. But this has been a great podcast, in my opinion. I've enjoyed all our conversations here today. So we'll be back next week. Um, hopefully, you know, next week is Thanksgiving week. Just really quick before we close off, I think we should all say something that we are thankful for real quick, even though it's, you know, cheesy or whatnot. But James, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful that both of my parents are in great you know, financial and physical shape, um, that I don't have any injuries, no more midterms to worry about. All I have to worry about is five finals. That's, that's it. Anthony. Very grateful. Uh, well, I'm grateful to be alive. You know, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have a podcast. Um, I'm also grateful that uh, the semester is almost over, even though, you know, you still have finals. But, you know, after Thanksgiving, you just have a few more weeks and then, you know, end of the first semester. Yeah, I mean, I'm thankful for I'm, I'm thankful for the podcast, too. Um, I'm thankful for just this past year in general. You know, I think it's been a year of growth for me personally. And, you know, it's been one that I've really enjoyed so far. But, yeah, I mean, we'll be back next week or in two weeks with more action with more sports with more discussions um for now check out sbpress.com for all our latest articles in particular check out sbpress.com backslash category backlash back backslash jesus sbpress.com backslash category backslash sports for all the sports content we just got out an article about the nba coaches challenge a few minutes ago 
as well as about New York teams um, switching basketball philosophies, the Carmelo Anthony article I mentioned earlier, as well about as well as about ACL tears in soccer and Antonio Brown's offseason. So be sure to catch up on all that content and we'll be back for more.